We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince. Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a mere corner, three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter. Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 3-1-5. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty up-and-under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. Well, maybe it's time for Orange fans to come back down to earth a little bit after Syracuse beats LSU by over 20 points in the ACC opener down in John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. Virginia gives Syracuse a taste of its own medicine as the Orange drop their conference opener. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to another edition of Red is the New Orange. As always, I'm Johnny Gadamowitz. He's Ian Unsworth. So glad to have you on board. While we've got you here, do yourself a favor. Go throw us a follow over on Twitter. We're at F68 underscore Cuse. You can also follow me at Johnny G Wits and Ian at I Unzi underscore. That's I U N Z Y underscore. Yeah, don't forget the underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Very important. And of course, the field of 68. Great stuff all across the college basketball world. An exciting time here as we close up the non-conference and conference play looms large come the new year. But for the time being, Ian, Syracuse had that conference opener against Virginia, a Virginia team that for years now has been, you know, really the cream of the crop of the ACC. We had some conversation on our previous podcast. Maybe the AP poll doesn't entirely agree right now, but the point still holds true in that Tony Bennett's defense had its way. As much as we were singing the praises of Red Autry's offensive game plan, after Syracuse stymied LSU a week ago, pretty much script was flipped against the Orange, completely took away Syracuse's ability to get down the court, right? We, this is a team that likes to run, that likes to play fast. We didn't see a whole lot of that against Virginia. Not that it came as much of a surprise with a defense as stout as that one, but it was alarming to see their identity completely kind of stripped away. You can't get down the court after a made basket unless the defense is entirely asleep. Virginia shot over 50% from the field in both halves. 
So on over half of UVA's possessions, Syracuse was not awarded the ability to get out there and push. That's a huge problem. And beyond the fact Virginia had eight offensive rebounds, pretty good compared to what we saw from Syracuse against LSU. Beyond all that, the Cavaliers held the ball for a good amount of time on offense. It wasn't like they were taking the first open look they got. As a Tony Bennett team will, they take their time. They move the ball around the perimeter. And eventually, whether the ball ended up in the hands of Isaac McNeely or Andrew Rohde or Reese Beekman getting to the cup, Virginia made Syracuse play a solid 20 to 25 seconds of defense pretty much the entire first half. And then on the other end, you see that wearing on Syracuse's legs just a bit. A lot of orange shots early on came late in the shot clock, and they were making them. Like, credit to Benny Williams, who made that up and under, like, 18-foot jumper. Justin Taylor's only basket of the day was a late prayer from straight away. He kind of caught it, had to turn towards the basket and get it up. For the first 10 minutes of the game almost, Syracuse hung in there without Judamins even scoring, and everyone else chipped in. And the broadcasters said, hey, this is a pretty good thing for the Orange. But you have to figure, well, Judah scored 33 in the last game. Where is he coming from? And he never showed up because he couldn't get out in transition. His legs and the entire team's legs got tired from playing defense. And I think the main, main overarching point from this game, yes, it's one of the best defensive teams in the country, but against really good defensive teams, Syracuse can't get to the basket. We saw it against Tennessee in the Maui Invitational, right? They shot free throws instead, but they couldn't get all the way to the cup. And the same thing happened here. Starling had a couple of open layups, but Mintz got absolutely nothing. And again, that's not to say that Judah Mintz is a one-dimensional player. We know he's not, but you credit UVA for taking away his strength. Right. And obviously his strength is getting to the rim, as you just alluded to, Ian. And if, I think if his second dimension his first dimension is getting to the rim, his second dimension is getting to the line. The free throw line. Exactly. And we didn't see much of that in this game at he all. Only took two, two, of them. two free throws, only made one of them. Two for eight from the floor, only five points. You're not gonna beat a team that is as disciplined as Virginia is if that's the type of performance you're getting out of your best player. I think we got to give some credit where credit is due as well. We spoke with Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, um, and he almost took a little bit of the flip side in that, okay, he thought there was you know, perhaps a little bit of a formula for Mintz to kind of crack this Virginia defense. We didn't really see that. Reese Beekman was a reason why. Um, and far from only Beekman, there was plenty of help defense, and Virginia was clearly paying attention to number three in orange and white. But Beekman cemented himself in my eyes if he wasn't already is probably the best perimeter defender that this conference has to offer. To see the way he was on Judah like Elmer's glue from horn to horn, um, I think is something that that was really admirable from a defensive standpoint in terms of just not seeing a lot of guards in today's day and age of, of let alone just college basketball, but the basketball world as a whole, that are capable of, of neutralizing playmakers in the way that Beekman was. Um, so, the offensive struggle is well-documented. The defense, too, Ian, I think it just sort of looked a step slow. Maybe some of it's a testament to Virginia's ball movement and their ability to make that extra pass and make that extra read. 
But you mentioned how Virginia was, you know, really lighting it up um, wherever, whether it be inside the arc or outside the arc, what have you. They shot 57% from range. A lot of the looks were uncontested, right? Like this, this Syracuse defense just didn't appear to be doing their due diligence with closing out on shooters, um, which is odd because we hadn't really seen that, that many lapses defensively yet. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is because Virginia plays more half-court offense than a lot of teams Syracuse has seen, right? We didn't, we didn't see them run and gun a lot. Um, we didn't expect to see them run and gun a lot. That's not who they are. I think that falls on Adrian Autry a little bit to know that, okay, we didn't really see anything all too different than what we thought we were going to see. Virginia is going to play the way Virginia is going to play. And still, that defense, for whatever reason, just lagging behind ever so slightly that ultimately ended up costing them quite a bit. Going back to what I said earlier, it's the playing 25, 30 seconds of defense in the early going that wears you down as the game continues. One interesting thing from the LSU game, which I don't think we touched on in our last podcast, when talking to the ESPN broadcast team, Coach Red Autry said that he's still trying to help his team unlearn some old habits. And I think we saw some of that on Saturday. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an like on the court X's and O's kind of thing. It was Virginia hit some tough shots, right? McNeely's first couple threes were were tough shots. Rhodey had a contested one. He worked around a screen for a late shot clock floater. And then McNeely hit one from almost half court to expand that lead out to double digits. And hit a career high. Yeah, the in the time. first half, yeah. nonetheless. Right. And he finished with 22, by the way. He was six of eight from three-point range. That That's a heck of a day. But back to the Syracuse viewpoint here. What happened in those late games last year? Opponents stretched out a lead you know, hit some shots in a row, and Syracuse slumped. Shoulders went down, right? People got lazy, and Virginia kept on moving the ball throughout the second half. The ball movement got better and better as the game went on because the Cavaliers, who also rotated in guys yep. throughout the second half, like, and it wasn't the walk-ons until about the five-minute mark, right? They were, they were going eight, nine, ten deep in the bench, the ball kept popping around with tons of energy. And you saw Syracuse first give up those tough looks. And then the defense became lackadaisical. They gave up the easy ones. And, you know, a 10-point, 12-point deficit at halftime is one thing. But you get a basket right before the horn. You come out and that deficit turns into 20. Because, again, one shot goes in and it's here we go again. We were also curious to see how the physicality, how, how maybe the slight height advantage that Syracuse has was going to factor in. Um, all told on the night, or afternoon, I should say, didn't really factor in all too much. Syracuse out-rebounded. Um, Naheem McLeod only plays 15 minutes, grabs two boards. Syracuse's leading rebounder this game was Quadir Copeland. Mm -hmm. um, so take from that what you will. I and think no that's something either from a cloud. He did not have much of an influence on right. the rim. Right. Um, I, I want to bring up something here, Ian, that, that you mentioned in passing a little bit earlier. I'm going to read you a couple of numbers. Uh, these numbers being individual scoring totals, though, fo thus far this season for Justin Taylor. Okay. 
against opponents named New Hampshire, Canisius, and Chaminade, 14, 13, and 14, respectively. Mm -hmm. In every other game, he has yet to score more than six in a contest. He's been scoreless twice. He's scored six twice. He had three against Virginia. I know you've got to keep your expectations in check, right? And you figure, okay, only a sophomore trying to figure out how many minutes per game he's going to be. Is he a starter? Is he a bench guy? What have you? At some point, I, I got to see some more life out of JT. I mean, to have six points or less in five of the last six games, um, you know, we, we've talked about it on this podcast before how it's Judah Mintz, it's J.J. Starling, hopefully in a perfect world, although J.J. has had his shaky moments. You need that third guy. And for whatever reason, Benny Williams doesn't want to take up that mantle. Chris Bell has done his best to stay hot, but we, we only know how long that's going to last. For me, and I know this centers around some of our preseason conversation with being very excited about Mr. Taylor as well. Um, I think disappointed is a word that comes to mind to see how much he's been able, or, or really the lack thereof, of how much he's been able to impact the game offensively here through the first you know month or so of the season. He doesn't see much of the ball. All things considered, there is not a whole lot of action that Syracuse was running, period, on Saturday. And a player like Justin Taylor is going to be best when there's some momentum to get him the ball. Whether it's swinging it around the horn, he gets it and can attack a closeout. Or it's off an off-ball screen, and then he's got to step on a defender that's late getting around a big body. You can't give the ball to Justin Taylor and expect him to create one-on-one, -on -one, just dead stop. He's not a YMCA playground kind of player. He doesn't have that wiggle. You need to do something else to help him get in a rhythm. Chris Bell gets it, he'll shoot it. Benny Williams, at this point, he knows his playing time is limited. So when that dude catches the ball, he's shooting it. Like when Benny catches he's the ball. He's trying to make the most of the minutes he is. Exactly. Yeah. It's going up for better or for worse. Is that a good thing? Probably not. The way we've seen Benny Williams shoot the ball over the past two years, especially when it's outside of 10 feet. Taylor is more disciplined, as you said, Johnny. But he's not given the opportunity to attack because it's just stagnant. When he sees a defender meet him close out or just in a defensive position, he'll take a jab step, take a dribble, but there's nothing much for him there because he's in the corner. He's got to pass the ball. Well, we'll see if they try to draw some more stuff stuff up for him at some point as the season goes along because they just need to run more stuff period right they didn't run a whole lot of anything against virginia and, and the again, stuff they ran earlier in the season looked good i don't understand why they abandoned it and for everything that we've been told and sort of promised about this syracuse team of okay not going to be a ton of iso ball there's going to be more movement there's going to be more flow and you're right and we did see it early on in the year it certainly seemed to fizzle out against UVA now. Is that more a testament to the Who's defense or a lack of competent Syracuse offense? You could take your pick. I think we've agreed it's been a little bit of both. There were times when it fizzled out in Maui, too. Yeah. And part of it's on the players, you know, just kind of standing there and hoping someone does something. But it's also on the coaching staff to signal something in or get someone's attention and tell these guys we have to stick. If you don't stick with something, it's not going to work over the long haul, right? Bayheim tried to run man-to-man -man last year, abandoned it after, what, one game, two games, because it wasn't great. 
Syracuse is sticking with the man-to-man this year, and already we've seen it get a little bit better. Agreed? Absolutely. So you have to stick with the stuff on offense, too. You can't abandon movement, principles, plays, because almost every other team in college basketball runs it and runs it well. They just all have their own flavor to it. Syracuse needs to find its flavor. The Orange will not have their next chance to grab a conference win until the end of the month, December 30th, when Pitt travels to the JMA Dome. A whole lot before that, though, and some meaningful games looming large for this Q squad, starting with an Ivy League opponent coming up this week. But before we hit on that, let's get a quick word from Rob Doster and our friends over at BetMGM. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68, each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Syracuse and Cornell, an Ivy League opponent making the short trip up I-81 this week to take on the Orange. And for Syracuse, a lot on the line now. You try to get back in the win column, sort of find your footing against a team that, in theory, you should be able to have your way with. But make no mistake, Ian, this is a Cornell squad that is pretty legit. Coming in out of the Ivy League, and Ivy League on the whole that has really taken a turn for the better over the course of the past couple of years, you think about some of the Yale squads, Princeton squads that have made the tournament as of late. 
When it comes to Cornell, though, a really interesting squad as far as identity is concerned. Um, I happen to call a lot of the Cornell games down in Ithaca. have done a couple already this year. They play a lot of guys. They've got, as of last week, I believe it was, they had 10 guys playing 12 minutes per game. I'm not sure there's a team in the nation who's starting five and who cracks that starting five matters less than this big red squad. That's all because of their head coach, Brian Earl, former Ivy League player of the year in Princeton, sort of brings that philosophy to central New York and Ithaca, let's call it. Um, and, and they like to run. They like to push the tempo. Um, they average about 20 helpers a game. They're going to move the ball, similar to Virginia. So if you're Syracuse, maybe a glass half full approach in and that you're getting sort of, while Virginia doesn't like to run the floor, in terms of the ball movement, you're at least getting back-to-back opponents who philosophically in that regard are a little similar. They like to move the ball, but they'll they'll play Syracuse's style. Here, I'll throw some numbers at you, Johnny, because you've seen this team. And this is these are from the uh, the great folks at KenPom.com, or maybe they're just from Ken Pomeroy's computers, the folks, either or. You get the gist. Cornell is top 35 in the country in adjusted tempo. So the average college basketball game has about 67, 66 possessions. Cornell's games this year have had 73. Average possession length in college basketball is usually around 16 and a half to 17 seconds. Cornell, 17th quickest possessions in the country at 15.2 seconds. And then the final one I got for you. Actually, I got two more for you, Johnny. Hit me. The Big Red shoot 64% from two-point percentage, which is second best in the nation. And I want to get your take on that because this team likes to shoot threes. They shoot almost half of their shots from behind the arc, which also is top 15 in the country. But how can a team that takes so many threes be so good from inside the arc? Is it just they're taking less? Or or is it like a threes and layups kind of deal like Nate Oates at Alabama? That's exactly where I was going with it because you have so many teams who pay attention to the perimeter so much and are doing their due diligence trying to close out on these shooters. It opens up holes in the mid-range. And you look at this Cornell team, they've got so many guys who can play the one through four, right, who can score at all three levels. A lot of people will look at them on paper and say, oh, not a ton of height, but they have sort of deceiving height in a sense. They're two big men. I won't call them centers. Uh, because they don't quite have the stature to be centers, but Sean Hansen and Guy Raglan Jr., two guys who can play bully ball down low, um, but can also step beyond the arc, you know, a la NBA bigs who are not afraid to step out and let it fly. So this is a Malik Brown game is what you're saying. He's yes. Gonna play all- yes, exactly. Um, another thing that's really interesting too that that we didn't touch on, Ian, about this Cornell squad is they press a lot. And not only do they press off of makes, they'll press off of misses, which you really don't see a ton of. Um, So I think from a Syracuse standpoint, they're not going to have a chance to catch their breath. So like this is this is going to be like Colgate, but but times two in terms of how fast they run, how much they like to get up and down the floor, which don't get me wrong. Syracuse is is suited to sort of be able to handle but we, um, we saw Colgate beat Syracuse at its own game in that first half. Correct. Where the Raiders let Syracuse run up the floor, 
forced an early shot, forced a turnover, and got right back down or ran out and beat all the orange back down the floor in transition. So right, right. it could go either way. From a Syracuse standpoint, my key is the Orange are going to have to make their shots. They're going to get their possessions. You mentioned how quickly Cornell shoots into the shot clock. Syracuse is going to have plenty of offensive opportunities, right? It's about, okay, can you cash in on their opportunities? This Cornell defense leaves a little bit to be desired. They're okay with giving up the looks. They're okay with with beating you in a shootout in an 87-82 type game. That That's sort of the formula that they hope to ride, and they've done it time and time again this year. My question is, because they can go five deep off the bench, Syracuse can't go five deep off the bench, right? What happens if you're at the under 16 and half number two and the likes of Malik Brown, Benny Williams, fill in the blank, are gassed, right? And, and Cornell keeps that revolving door right? In terms of who's seeing the floor, keeping the legs fresh. Stamina is something I'm really going to be keying in on as well. This could be a game where SU uses Naheem McLeod in effective bits and pieces. He's good to run the floor for about two, two and a half minutes. Then then it's then he's over. And a breather. Right? But when you've got 7-4 on 6-8-6-9, and maybe he can pull a post hook out of the bag once or twice like he did later on against UVA, like that's easy money, especially in a team that's, again, always going to be running out, looking to push. What do we talk about Syracuse earlier in the year with the rebounding struggles, right? Three guards above the free throw line looking to get down the court. Cornell will do the same if they want to get out in transition. You keep McLeod down there, maybe you get four or five cleanups, you know, and a two-point lead turns into a 10-point lead because of those extra offensive boards, I think the other big question we have to ask here, Johnny, is who guards Judamitz? It's a good question, and there's no easy answer from a Cornell standpoint. The name that probably comes to mind um, is a guy by the name of Chris Mannon. He's part of this senior class for Cornell comprised of Mannon, the aforementioned Sean Hansen, one of the bigs from earlier, another name worth knowing, Isaiah Gray. That's sort of their big three as far as the seniors are concerned. Manon is a guy who set a single season record a year ago with the Big Red as far as steals. He was in the 60s, right? He's going to get his two swipes per game. He's got active hands, maybe not as athletic to keep up with a guy like Mintz. Um, And if he gets into foul trouble, I'm not sure who else from a Cornell standpoint is defensively going to be apt enough to try to lock down Judah. But he's the first name that comes to mind. Another one who, who, as far as the backcourt goes for the Big Red, uh, one of their leading scorers. I mentioned that heavy senior class. They've got a sophomore by the name of Cooper Nord um, who could very well replicate an Isaac McNeely-type contest. He lets it fly. Um, was a freshman last year that only played about five minutes a game and is the second leading scorer on the team now and absolutely is a sharpshooter to the 10th degree. He's shooting 49% from beyond the arc on not a very small sample size either. He's taken 45 threes this year. I know I skewed your question there a little bit as far as who defends mids, but might as well uh, you on it. that Cornell backcourt. Keep an eye on Manon. Keep an eye on Nord. We'll see. I mean, th- this is this is a sneaky, difficult game for Syracuse. And all of a sudden, and if, if, if you drop this, or even if you find a way to win, but maybe it's ugly, 
and Cornell exposes some serious holes in the defense or the transition or what have you, all of a sudden that's back-to-back shaky performances with, with a couple tough ones coming up and, and who knows how things could sort of spiral from there. Yeah, Cornell does not have a transfer on their team, which is very interesting considering where we are in college basketball, but they also don't play many other power five contests, Syracuse and Baylor are the only ones on their roster. Big Red right now are 7-1, and one, only lost to George Mason. But again, as you mentioned earlier, Johnny, all these games, except for a win against uh, the fighting, I don't even know, Utah Valley's mascot, but the, yeah. the, the Utah Valley was the only team that they've played underneath the 80-point margins. So expect a run-and-gun shootout. And for Syracuse, this could go well, or that, this could be this could be a clunker depending on if the three-pointers are going in. But again, I think this is another game where, like you mentioned, the Canisius, the New Hampshire games, this is a game where you can get the supporting cast involved, especially if it's moving fast. Taylor should get open looks. Bell should get open looks. Hopefully, Benny Williams, when he gets in, is the most athletic player on the floor. And again, you build up some confidence for these other dudes. And before you go play Georgetown and Oregon, hopefully some of... You know, the the non-John, you know, John Lennon folks of this Beatles crew are ready to sing and score. Who's going to be the George Harrison? That is the question. Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Worth noting, 8 p.m., hour later than usual, but a Tuesday night tip inside the Dome. The Big Red and the Orange should be a fun one, and it'll keep you on the edge of your seat. At least if you like fast-paced basketball, if you like three-pointers, if you like hecticness on the court, this will be one you want to make sure you tune in. But that will just about close up shop here for this edition of Red is the New Orange alongside Ian Unsworth. I'm Johnny Gadamowitz saying thanks so much for joining us. As always, we will talk to you later in the week after the Orange and the Big Red on Tuesday night.